Lord, I thank you for answered prayer already today. Lord, we've seen you do great and mighty things, but tonight is a fresh night and we need fresh oil. So speak through us tonight. We'll thank you and praise you in the precious name that's above every name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's remain standing. Brother Ken. Amen. Page number six. We haven't done this song in a while. I know they sung it at the retreat this weekend. Page number six. I want to know more about my Lord. And I'm, we're going to sing it in a speed we can breathe on. Amen. <laughs> Renee had let me in on how y'all was singing it. Nothing wrong with that, but we're going to sing it at a normal speed today. Verse number one in the chorus, then have a time of fellowship. Page number six. While traveling through this world of sorrow, I'm on my ever sung that song several of you well then we just need to go ahead and sing the third verse too brother ken i hope you took a deep breath open your book back up to page six let's do the last verse i love this song let's sing it
much. Appreciate that. Let me go, so, go through some announcements with you. A few things, just a couple reminders. Uh, the drama production for this year's Christmas production or the drama schedule and all the pertinent information is listed outside the teen room. Uh, thank you, those that were with us today at 4 o'clock. It's going to be great. Uh, lots to do uh, and a few months to get it done in. I can't believe I'm actually uttering the phrase, our Christmas production. It doesn't seem possible uh, that it is nigh upon us, but we'll be spending September, October, November, and the first couple weeks in December getting ready for it, uh, and uh, we're excited for that as well. I have to tell you that the song that Kyla wrote for us, I think, is going to be beautiful in the production. I know you've heard it already, but you'll love it, so I just encourage you to get involved with that. Again, uh, we'll kick off on September the 9th. Uh, that information will be listed outside the teen room door. It's already there, so please keep that in mind if you would. Again, thank you for those that have signed up to help us with this year's college meals on Tuesday nights. If you can help us out with that, we sure appreciate it. And then don't forget about the wedding shower that will be happening for Lit... N I keep saying Lick and Nydia. Is that not the dumbest thing? It is my own daughter, and I can't get her name right. We're gonna, I'm going to stand up the day I marry them and pronounce Lick and Nydia now, husband and wife. Guarantee it. For Nick and Lydia, uh, that will be after the service on September tonight. Wayside is doing that with us. There's a joint wedding shower between the two of them. Uh, so keep that in mind if you would. I was thinking about this morning about the fact that in the next six months, we got three weddings. we got some babies being born. I love, 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 love it. It's all good stuff. November the 18th, Civil Servant Sunday, honoring our police officers. We'll give you more about that information as it uh, draws closer. Fellas, make your way down. Renee, play for me. There is a fountain filled with blood. I want to hear that tonight. I like that song. And that is the reminder for all of us. Uh, we're going to ask God's blessings up on the offering tonight. James is going to get that. Let's pray together this evening. Father, we are so grateful for that fountain that is filled with blood, drawn from the precious veins of Emmanuel. And Lord, I am so, so thankful that even in 20. Uh, 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 the, the, the middle of August in 2018 that sinners plunge beneath that flood Lord they still lose all their guilty stains Lord I pray your blessings upon our services tonight may your presence be felt in all that we do in Jesus name Amen
I've been working her on that for the last two weeks. That's pretty good, isn't it? I've been helping her learn that. <laughs> Thank you, baby. I appreciate it. Love that. If I were to tell you tonight that the message that I want to give to you this evening is all about a young boy who faces a giant, who stares him down and realizes that the power of God will help him defeat that giant staring before him. You would probably tell me that the boy's name is the Goliath, end of the Goliath's name, man. The giant's name is, but in fact, I want to talk to you about a different boy and a different giant. Turn with us, if you would, please, tonight to the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 20. The book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 20. For those of you who have bookmarks in your Bible, you don't mind writing, you can also look at a parallel passage later this evening, 2 Samuel 21. Verses 15 to 22 is a parallel passage. It gives you much of the same information, uh, just phrased a little bit differently. So often when we talk about the story of the boy and the giant, our mind automatically goes to David and Goliath. One of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. One of the stories that children grow up understanding and being taught. Stories that preachers that uh, we love to preach about that passage because the reality is we all face giants in our lives and in of our own strength we will never defeat those giants but thank God uh, for those little five stones of grace that when hurled at the giant they have to topple in the name of God but you also understand that giants don't stay away for very long they always come back so I want you to look tonight at a passage of scripture that is relatively obscure, a passage that is frankly easy to overlook. And indeed, when you're reading the books of First and Second Chronicles, there's a lot of names and begats and begots, and it's easy to skip over that stuff. I get it. I know. I understand. But if you do, you'll miss a powerful, powerful passage. Tonight, I want to talk to you about another giant killer. A boy by the name of Jonathan. Look with me, if you would, please, at 1 Chronicles chapter 20. We'll begin reading in verse number 4, and we'll read down through the rest of this chapter. 1 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 4. If you found your place, say amen. Came to pass after this that there arose a war at Gezer with the Philistines. At which time Sabakai the Hushathite slew Sipei that was of the children of the giant. If you write in your Bibles, underline that phrase, the giant. They were subdued. There was war again in the Philistines. And Elanon, the son of Jair, slew Lami, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite whose spear staff was like a weaver's beam. You'll note there in verse 5 that we're given the name and the relationship to Goliath of one of the giants. He was the brother. Verse number 6. And yet again, there was war at Gath, where was a man of great stature, whose fingers and toes were four and twenty. Six on each hand, 
six on each foot, and he also was the son of the giant. But when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, slew him. These were born unto the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Again, so often when we talk about the slaying of the giant, our minds inherently go to that wonderful story of David and Goliath. One of the best messages that I ever heard preached on David and Goliath asked the question, why David needed five stones? After all, the giant was but one man. Someone posed the question, was it a weakness of faith that David actually grabbed five stones if he only needed one of them. And this preacher's response was, if you read your Bible carefully, you'll find that David uh, may have grabbed five stones because Goliath had four brothers. And David was no dummy. He realized uh, that when he slew one of them big fellows, uh, there might come four more knocking on his doorstep. This passage tonight confirms that theory. Now, I don't know if David grabbed five stones for that purpose, but it sure makes some good preaching sense in my little mind. But what I want you to get tonight is this simple reality that David was not the only giant slayer in Scripture. There were other giant slayers, and most uh, biblical archaeologists and biblical scientists and uh, uh, biblical theologians will back me up on this, Uh, The reality is uh, that this whole tribe of giants uh, were constantly attacking the nation, uh, constantly at war. Uh, You can actually, it's a fascinating study to look uh, at the the giant tribe, if you will, those that were constantly coming after uh, with the Philistines uh, to attack the nation of Israel. uh, And they had to be defeated over and over and over again. Tonight... We meet one of them who's got something unusual about him. He's not just a giant, he's an ugly giant. I mean, he's an ugly giant. I don't want to be unkind. He's got six fingers on each hand. He's got six toes on each foot. You say, preacher, uh, do you believe that? It's actually a medical condition called polydactylism, uh, whereby someone is born with multiple fingers, uh, not five as they should be, on fing- and same with toes. Uh, and so this is a very provable medical reality. This giant has come uh, to attack Israel once again uh, through the nation of Philistia, the Philistines, uh, and now somebody's got to stand up one more time to defeat this enemy. Let me pause a moment and say, let's not kid ourselves into thinking uh, that because we defeated our giant one time uh, last week or last month, uh, that the giant is dead and won't come back again. Those of you uh, that have battled spiritual giants in your life, you know that those jokers are ugly uh, and they always come back. Whatever it is that you're battling, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you're dealing with, it is usually not a one-and-done situation. You have to battle it over and over and over. And this time, 
the question becomes, who's going to fight him? Who's going to fight him? Well, the one that stands up this time is unusual. He's a man by the name of Jonathan. And if you were to just look at the background and the lineage of Jonathan, you would not think that he would be a giant killer. Now, we have to be careful that we differentiate this Jonathan from the Jonathan uh, that David was so much in love with, the son of Saul. Uh, that Jonathan is deceased by now. Uh, David uh, is, of course, on the throne at this point. Uh, so this is a different Jonathan uh, than the one for whom jo David loved so dearly, even as a brother in the flesh, Scripture says. So what about this guy? What do we know about him? Why did he stand up and become a giant killer? Let's look at three things together tonight. First of all, notice Jonathan's family. Jonathan's family. There's a couple of things that we see in Scripture. And I'm going to ask you to put your bookmarker here because we're going to turn to one place. But to begin with, uh, let's look at the passage that we just read. Uh, verse number 7. But when he defied Israel, Jonathan... The son of Shemaiah, David's brother, slew him. Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, who was David's brother. That means that this Jonathan would be David's nephew. Correct. Well, just so we get full... Uh, perspective on this. Uh, put your little bookmarker here. I want you to stay there and come back to it with me. Uh, but flip back, if you would, now to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, because I want you to see with me tonight that Jonathan's family lineage, his family ancestry, would not lead you to believe that he's going to grow up and be a giant killer. His family heritage was not such that you would stand back and say, Man, God's going to do something with that kid. In fact, it was just the opposite. 1 Samuel chapter number 16 is a very famous passage of Scripture. It is the time where the new king of Israel is about to be anointed. And the prophet comes to the house of Jesse, who is of course David's father. And one by one by one, each of the sons of Jesse is presented and said, Is this the king? Is this the king? And I want you to notice what happens with Shemaiah. Would you look with me, please, at verse number 6. Came to pass when, he, when they were come. that He looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. The Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now we could continue to read and 
Note that each of the sons is presented, and one by one by one, the Lord said, No, he's not. He might look good on the outside, he might appear to be kingly on the outside, but if you get on the inside of him, there's something wrong there. He's got a wicked interior, if you will. And so I submit to you that we would not think Jonathan's going to be a giant killer because God rejected his daddy. When it was time for his father uh, to be presented as a possible king, God said, uh-uh, nope, not him. Not him, not good. And then it gets worse. For the sake of time, uh, we won't flip to it because you know the story already. Uh, but now we fast forward a few years to the first battlefield of the giant. You know this story. Uh, we go from the father's rejection to now the father's reaction. Uh, again, you know this story. David has come to the battlefield for one reason. He's bringing lunch to his brothers. His brothers are there, and he hears the giant making a mockery of Israel. He hears Goliath making fun of God. And he looks around to his brothers and said, Is somebody not going to do something about this? And they all cower in fear. None of them step up. None of them say, yeah, we got we to gotta defeat this. Uh, we can't let this happen. Uh, so now, uh, not only uh, has uh, uh, Jonathan's father uh, been rejected uh, earlier on in his life, uh, when it comes time to do battle with the first giant, uh, the, the, his daddy, like all the other brothers, uh, step back, cower in fear and say, not me. I'm not going. I, I, I got to be honest with you. I wouldn't expect that man's son to become the next giant killer in the family. I wouldn't expect necessarily for someone that God has passed over and for someone that has rejected God and for someone that's afraid to take a stand for God, it, 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 you really wouldn't expect that that child would be the one that would grow up to be the next great giant killer. Can I give you one of the most important applications that I think I've ever given anybody in my ministry? Please listen to me on this. We should never let the failings of the past rob us of the victories of the present. Just because your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents or your brothers or your uncles or your mamas or your dad, whatever, just because they weren't involved in God's work, just because they don't get it, just because they don't understand, that should never rob you of the blessing of standing up and doing something for God. There's too many people today who are off the battlefield out of shame and embarrassment of what happened 10, 20, 30 years ago. Honey, if that's what the requirements are, we're all off the battlefield. Notice with me, not only do you see the rejection of the father, the reaction of the father, we go now from Jonathan's family to what I'm going to call Jonathan's favorite. I'm, I'm reading a little bit between the lines here as you flip back to 1 Chronicles. I'm reading just a little bit between the lines. But I, I can't help but think that of all the brothers of Jesse, or the sons of Jesse, I should say, the brothers of David, that maybe, just maybe, Uncle David was Jonathan's favorite. I, I, I can't help but think that maybe, just maybe... That little Jonathan, as he was growing up and 
heard the story of great victory and great battles that Uncle David had accomplished. That he looked to his uncle and he said, man, oh man, oh man, my Uncle David had some courage. Why? Because Uncle David stood up to a giant when nobody else would. Uncle David stood up and defied Goliath when nobody else would even go to the battlefield. May I be blunt tonight? There are a lot of people who think that it takes a wimp to serve God. I think it takes a warrior to serve God. I get it, I hear it, I heard it much of my adult life. You don't go here, you don't do that. You won't get involved in this, too good for that. And if you're not careful, people start looking at us like we're wimps or something. But the reality is it takes a real man. It take, Listen, young people, it takes somebody with intestinal fortitude and a backbone like a lion to stand up and say, I'm not a wimp, I'm a warrior for the cause of Christ. I cannot help but think Jonathan looked up at his uncle and said, I want to be like him. I see something in Uncle David that instills courage in me. I want to pause a moment and simply say this to all of us tonight, folks. One of the grandest things we can do is mentor somebody else. Had a conversation after church today about that very thing. The reality is uh, there is another generation uh, that we as the previous generation uh, can take under our wings uh, and help them understand what it means to be a Christian man uh, or a Christian lady. Uh, Help them. And by the way, that's a biblical commandment, folks. Uh, That's not just my suggestion. Uh, We are told uh, Paul writes to the church, to the leaders, and said uh, the senior ladies ought to help the junior ladies. The senior men ought to help the junior men. Uh, This is not a new idea. The reality is uh, we kind of get in our own little cocoon. God bless me and my four and no more. Uh, And if that happens uh, when we and our four are gone, the church will shut its doors. Mentoring another generation. Looking at somebody and say, hey, I'm here for you, man. If If you need somebody, I'm there for you. You need somebody to talk to. I've walked there. I've walked through those steps. And I dig, I dug a well while I was there. So I've got it here ready for you to drink from. When you get to that battle, you call me up and we'll drink together. I'll tell you what God did for me when I was there. That's mentorship. That's helping someone else along the pathway. Uncle David had courage. I believe that perhaps Jonathan saw in his Uncle David someone who not only had courage but also had convictions. Had convictions. David is a young shepherd boy teenager. You know this already. You've heard me preach about it. The life of a shepherd was a disgusting one. They were the lowest of the lows. There's a reason when Samuel came to Jesse's house that David wasn't there. It's like the taking out the trash, if you will. Nobody wants to do it, but if you don't do it, it starts to stink. The same thing is true with being a shepherd on the field. The reason David wasn't there is he's the runt of the litter. He's the baby of the family, and they leave the job for him that nobody else wants. But on that hillside, David learned to get in touch with God. On that, amen, church, on that hillside, doing the job that nobody else wanted, David learned to write or sing, the Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. And as he's examining his sheep, he says things like, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. How does a teenager at that young age get this? But he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's just a snippling of it. Go look at Psalm 22. Go look at Psalm 24. uh, Also written in all likelihood uh, during David's early years. uh, And you begin to understand uh, that David uh, had heard the heartbeat of God. Uh, David uh, had the thought mind of God, if you will. And I believe uh, that Jonathan saw in Uncle David not only someone who had courage to stand up to the giant, but somebody who had some spiritual convictions. I gave you a statistic this morning that breaks my heart. The statistic I gave you that I just read a few weeks ago said the newest research on millennials say that 75% of them say church no longer matters. Let me give you two or three more that are equally frightening. Some statistics that I think are staggering. The average age that a young man first consumes alcohol in America, 11. The average age that a young girl in our country, first consumes alcohol, 12 and a half. The average age for both males and females uh, in which uh, they engage in sexual intimacy, 12 and a half years old. Staggering. May I be blunt tonight? God, give us some young people who still have old-fashioned convictions. I don't mean mean. I don't mean mean-spirited. I don't mean unkind. But God, give us some young people uh, who recognize uh, and some mamas and daddies and some grandmas and grandpas uh, who recognize uh, that this body is the temple of God. That we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we will glorify God in our bodies. Uncle David had some courage. Uncle David had some convictions. But I believe Uncle David, and please get this, all my fellow fundamental independent angels like us Baptists. Uncle David also had some compassion. Uncle David had a big heart. Do, 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 you, do, you, do you understand the night church that the key to a successful Christian life is not just what we don't do? I mean, I'm as guilty of this as anybody else is. We stand up and we talk about all the things we shouldn't do as child of God. These are the lines we got to draw in the sand. we got to back away from them. The real mark of a Christian is the compassion we have for those that don't share our same beliefs. Amen. Our real mark, we talked about it this morning in my Sunday school class. Uh, my downstairs in the Bible study Sunday school class. Uh, we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, and finishing up the last part uh, of the first half of that, we talked about this simple statement uh, where, where Jesus says, You've been taught uh, to love uh, the people you like and hate your enemies. Uh, but I say this to you. He say, Love everybody. Uh, pray for them that you don't like. Uh, pray for them that curse you. Do good to them that spite use you. I like to love people that I like, but it's mighty hard for me to love those I don't like. Don't look at me crazy like you're so super spiritual. 
Amen. David learned compassion. He learned to draw nigh to God is to distance himself from the things that are not of God. So notice with me number three tonight. Jonathan's family. What I called Jonathan's favorite, his uncle David. And then number three, Jonathan's fame. I use the term fame rather loosely. Jonathan appears and then gone. He, he, he does something spectacular here and then he vanishes. We know nothing else about Jonathan. What we read in verse number 7 and 8 is all we know about him. Let's read it one more time. Then when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimeah, David's brother, slew him. And in, candidly, that's really all we have. I say verses 7 and 8, but verse number 7, verse number 8 is really about David, the other giants, and how they all got taken care of. All of Jonathan's fame can be summed up in one verse. So what did he do? Listen, spiritually, Jonathan seized the moment. Somebody's attacking God, I'm going to take a stand. Somebody's uh, bad-mouthing God, I'm going to take a stand. Somebody uh, is doing something contrary to the people of God, somebody ought to do something about it. By golly, I'm going to be the somebody. I'm going to be the somebody who lovingly, fervently, compassionately, well, I don't know how you can kill somebody compassionately, but I'm going to be the somebody that takes a stand. I can't help but wonder if in the back of his mind he thought, if Uncle David can do it, I can do it. If Uncle David can be somebody that will stand up for God, I can do it. What did he do? Well, there's a lot we don't know. I read one commentator who went on and on and on about how Jonathan picked up his slingshot just like his Uncle David and how he worded I don't see that nowhere in that verse. Maybe he did have a slingshot. Maybe he had a spear. Maybe he had a bazooka cannon. I got no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. So we're not going to waste time and energy trying to figure out how Jonathan did it. We're just going to rejoice in the fact that somebody stood up for God. That somebody said uh, that time for battle, count me in on the soldier line. He seized the moment. Not only did he seize the moment, note with me, he also secured the victory. When we read about David and Goliath, 
Man, there, the Lord gives us so many details. You know, the, I mean, you know all of it. Uh, David tries on the armament, and it's too big for him. And uh, 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 Saul looks at him and says, Dude, you, you really can't go out and fight, man. You can't even wear this. Uh, it's too big for you. Uh, it's, it's brand new. It's never been tried. You can't do this. Uh, and so by all accounts, uh, we know that David goes out there. Uh, we all have in our minds that he's a little fella going up against the great big giant uh, Goliath. Uh, but he's got God on his side. We know all of those elements. Can I tell you that Jonathan should have lost his battle as well? You know this part. David, in his flesh, David didn't have a chance. The only way uh, that David beats Goliath, listen now, is because God took control of the stone. It wasn't the trajectory of David's slingshot. It wasn't the... I read one, I think it was the same commentator, talking about how David had practiced this for years and how he had the trajectory down right and he had the slingshot speed and he knew that if he launched it, oh, what a bunch of hogwash. David, in faith, picked up a rock, flung it, and God trajected that thing right into the middle of Goliath's forehead. How do I know that it was God and not the stone? Because if it had been the stone, David would have been hit up against, uh, Goliath would have been hit against the forehead and fallen down backwards. But I think he was so stunned by the power of that little rock that God went, and David fell, and Goliath fell down forwards. Now, I don't know any of the details about Jonathan. And I don't know any of the details about this uh, giant, uh, except he had 12 fingers and 12 toes. But God also intervened. And God also took charge. And Jonathan, just like Uncle David, became a giant killer. Jonathan. Just like Uncle David became a giant killer. On Wednesday nights, we take prayer requests. I picked with Brother Keith Nelson about this. He couldn't be here tonight. He shared with me. He said, Preacher, you know why every Sunday morning and Sunday school and every Wednesday night I'm always asking you to pray or asking our church to pray for those who are suffering from drugs and alcohol addiction? I said, why, Keith? He said, because that was my giant. That was my giant. And I don't ever want to forget what God did for me. Amen. I can promise you, I, I would never do it, but I can promise you that there are some people here in this room, you've battled the same giant as that one. And if you haven't battled that one, you're battling some ones right now. You're battling some things that you are trying to work through and your family's trying to work through. Would you look at me? We all have the power to be giant. Amen. We all have the power to be giant killers. Our name may never appear in Scripture. In fact, I can promise you it won't. And it probably won't make it out there on the marquee to say you're a giant killer. But I can promise you in the halls of heaven, Somebody's keeping a record. My Lord keeps a record of every moment I'm living down here. He knows all about me, all my troubles, my heartaches, and fear. Would you stand to your feet tonight? Thank you so much for your kind attention. No matter our age, our ability, 
our circumstance, or the nature of the giant we face, we can all be giant killers. I you to bow your heads with me tonight. Nobody's looking. Now, you know I'm not going to do a long invitation tonight. Mr. Nair, I want you to play for us quietly, and I want to ask you a simple question. If you're here tonight and there are some giants in your life that you're dealing with, why don't you join me here at this altar tonight? Preacher, I already came this morning. That's all right. Come again tonight. Fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Come on and join me this evening. Things that you're struggling with, things that you're facing, problems, trials, circumstances. Would you come tonight? I'm going to pray for us. I'm just going to ask you to pray where you are. Father in heaven, I thank you tonight for this little story of Jonathan and a reminder to us about our giant killing abilities. Lord, I thank you tonight that giants uh, don't have to defeat us because we've got God on our side. I thank you tonight that giants in our lives that seem to beset us on every hand don't ever seem to go away but Lord greater is he that resides in us than that old giant that resides out there so Lord tonight whatever the giant is that people around this altar and around the congregation may be facing help us to grab our spiritual armament to grab our sword of the spirit to put on the full armor of God and stand strong on the spiritual battlefield knowing that we have got it because God's got it. Lord, I thank you for this church. Boy, what a great service we had this morning. And Lord, we are reminded tonight that tomorrow morning giants are going to stare us down one more time. And so Lord, as we separate, as we come back together on Wednesday night, help us come back ready to hear from heaven, but more importantly, ready to stay on the battlefield for our Lord. Giants will come. Lord, giants can be defeated. And like Jonathan, we too can be giant killers. Bless us this week. We'll thank you. We'll praise you. We love you. And we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said amen. You are dismissed tonight. Thank you for coming back this evening, church.